thought it would be good to take a moment to um, kind of just remember like where we're starting out from this situation being a human being and to look at it in a, in a real direct way. So what does it mean to be a human being? So if we're going to study patience and impatience today, we have to know what we're talking about. Like in which in what kind of situation does patience and impatience arise? So we'll do this. We'll look at this sort of our existential situation as human beings and then why and then try to define what patience and impatience is and then we'll take a break. So I mentioned in the set one of the things that seems true as human beings is that we're sensitive. And so this is really good to recognize just to honor that that pervasiveness or that um, exposure, I said in the guided sit, we are unceasingly exposed to sensitivity, to sense imprints, sense contact, through the sight, through the hearing, through the touching, through the thinking, smelling, and tasting. And this has a lot to do, doesn't it, with patience and impatience. You know, the fact that we're sensitive creatures and there's no way to completely shut it off. I mean, we can drink or we can fall asleep. We can absorb into a movie or a book. And we get some, seemingly at least, we get some protection or some removal from ongoing sensitivity. But in order to really understand patience and impatience, we have to get this existential situation that, like it or not, we're sensitive all the time. And, you know, according to scientists and sort of the people like the Buddha, you know, this sensitivity never, even when we're distracted, we're still sensitive. We just aren't conscious that we're sensitive. Like, and I think scientists are beginning to be able to uncover this neurologically, you know, through the study of the, the brain, you know, that even though you know, we're not aware that there's a sound, doesn't mean the mind isn't recording hearing in some way, isn't sensitive to hearing in some way. And of course, what we call the unconscious, it's operating, it's having its effect on the mind, on this, you know, reality, but we're not conscious, that's why we call it the unconscious. So in a way, the system is sensitive to the unconscious all the time. It's having its effect all the time. The environment of the room, it's having its effect all the time. The way the body is. We may be oblivious to being in a body, but it's having its effect all the time. So if we carry tension in our shoulder or our jaw or belly or wherever, you know, a lot of the time we're not aware of that tension we carry in the body. But it doesn't mean it's not having its effect. So this is one point, you know, this continuous exposure to sense contact, no way around sensitivity. And then, you know, we have ideas about our life, about what's good and bad. We have preferences, you know. So this conditioning, these ideas, these views, these opinions are constantly being triggered by the different experiences we're having. 
And this is also something that's pretty continuous, and there's really nothing we can do about it. So every time you open your eyes and you look at me, you may not want to judge me, but can you stop yourself from having an opinion about who I am or anybody in this room? Or even something mundane like somebody's shirt. You know, we see Mike's T-shirt, you know, and I immediately, my mind has like, what the heck is that? <laughs> you can look later for those of you who are behind. <laughs> and we can't, and I can't help myself. And in a way, this, so on, on a more raw sense, just being sensitive is irritating. But then on a, on a more sort of gross way, having to have an opinion about everything, having to have a response about everything is also hard to bear. It's hard to have to have an opinion, a response, liking or disliking or not caring about everything. So even all the neutral experience, you know, somebody's shirt is neutral, let's say, and it doesn't, seemingly doesn't cause a response. but not thinking it's worthy of a response is a response the mind is having to that shirt or the paint on the wall. You know, we have kind of a neutral colors through the building for the most part. Some people, you know, they come and they say, God, I just love the colors of this building, you know. And then the majority, of course, have no idea, you know, which is partly the point of the, you know, the choices that were made. You know, that they're not sort of evoking strong reactions of liking and, or disliking. But whether we're having a strong experience of liking or disliking, even the neutral experience of, hmm, that also is a reaction the mind is having. And it has to do that. And all of that activity of liking and disliking and not caring is kind of irritating. It's, but in any case, whether you find it irritating or not, it's not the point. The point is, it is a useful description of what it is to be a human being. We're sensitive, and we're constantly having opinions about what we're sensitive to. And there's nothing we can do about either of those. We can't stop being sensitive, and we can't stop having opinions about what we're sensitive to. Because the mind is conditioned, and that conditioning is being activated based on our what we're sensitive to in any given moment. And then the third thing I thought of, I'm sure there's some equivalent list in the Buddhist tradition, but I just sort of was reflecting on what it was to be a human being. The third thing that came to mind is this teaching on karma, which is that we're sensitive, we react to sensitivity, and how we react matters. That's the third point. So we're sensitive, we have a response to that sensitivity, and that the quality of that response sets in motion what we call the future. So like the Buddha would say something like, you want to know the future, notice how the heart or mind is relating to the present. So each present moment, there's sensitivity and our opinion about that sensitivity. And there's a third thing. It's like how the mind is relating to those two things. Is it relating with wisdom? Oh, there's sensitivity. Oh, there's an opinion about the sensitivity. Oh, it's like this. That's like wisdom. Or is there delusion? Which means there's sensitivity and reactivity and nothing else. Nothing knowing that. Nothing being able to be aware and equanimous with that. 
So then we're just swept along by the sensitivity and the reactivity. And in a sense, there's no learning then, right? Because it's just sensitivity and the conditioned opinion, which just gets reinforced. And then there's the next moment of sensitivity and the next moment of reactivity, on and on. And nothing really changes because whatever the predominant reactive response is, that's what gets reinforced. And in Buddhism, we call that samsara, like how these patterns just keep going on and on, never really ending, because there's nothing to interrupt it. And that's this third point. Is there anything there seeing what's going on, which we call wisdom, or not? Is wisdom there or not? Is mindful presence, wise presence, wise mindfulness there or not? And that's just, uh, you know, that's the third thing. So delusion is something and wisdom is something. And there's, you know, some wis- sometimes it's some wisdom and some delusion, you know. We're somehow not seeing everything, but we are seeing some things. That's often how it is for us. We're not completely deluded, completely absent of wise attention, wise awareness, but it's not maybe perfected. So we're seeing absolutely everything, all of the sensitivity and all of the reactivity to the sensitivity. So just to sort of, you know, look at that third part, you know, our tendency is when we're sensitive and have an opinion, you know, our sensitivity is to want to to either be distracted, to not be aware of it, or if we do become aware that we're sensitive and we have an opinion, then we generally want to act on that opinion and kind of get whatever, you know, sort of we see somebody, that's the sensitivity part, or we hear somebody, that's the sensitivity part, and then we have a response, oh, you know, that person is going to take the last brownie unless I act fast. <laughs> and so, you know, so the conditioning that gets triggered is like, uh, you know, I like brownies and I'm in this world where there are other people who like brownies and there aren't too many left. This may be my only opportunity. So that's triggering, you know, that, uh, that grasping, you know, wanting to control the situation one way or another controlling the situation or not being aware so we're just completely blind so either we're completely blind just acting out reactivity or there's some awareness you know that there's sensitivity there's reactivity and then there's identification and a kind of a conscious decision okay I believe this I'm going to act on it and then there can be frustration too with that, like not recognizing this, this is where there's some wisdom, where there's sensitivity, there's an awareness of the reaction to the sensitivity, and then there's some wisdom that's, that doesn't want to act it out, but feels helpless, doesn't know how not to act it out, you know, and just wants the whole thing to be done. And so this isn't, we want to be aware of this because this isn't patience, like, being frustrated with our reactivity isn't patience. So like not wanting to be a human being or not wanting to be sensitive or not wanting to have conditioned responses to life, like fear or anxiety or desire, that's not patience either. That's 
not liking him. You know, that's a kind of aversion. So believing the desires, that's not patience, of course. That's obvious, you know. Being disconnected, uh, oblivious, that's not patience. But also, and this could masquerade as patience, like being judgmental of our our reactive responses or our conditioned responses. That's not patience either. Like thinking it's wrong to take the last brownie. Not wanting to be the person who wants the last brownie. That's not patience either. That's, you know, a kind of aversion or frustration. So the question is then what's the alternative? And so, you know, this is what I meant earlier when I said that patience really needs to be understood as a kind of wisdom. Where it's a paradigm shift or an insight where the you know, normally we're thinking of satisfaction or comfort coming from uh, either getting what we want or not having to deal with life, you know, just like checking out. That would be comfortable. You know, if I just didn't have to be responsible for being a sentient human being, that would be such a relief. And in a way, you know, I, I get that. I understand why that seems comforting. But the fact is, is there any way out? I mean, some people, you know, we imagine maybe that like drinking or suicide is a way out. But how do we know? I mean, people who drink, we know, right? Because you eventually sober up. And then there you are again, except feeling lousy. You know, and uh, who knows about suicide? I mean, we don't really know. But there's some teachings, at least, that suggest that you just end up, you know, on the same place again until you until you understand another way. So this is really points to this paradigm shift of because we're sensitive, because we've got conditioning, you know, a reactive conditioning to that sensitivity, and because it matters what we do to sensitivity, you know, it's easy to get very controlling. And it's easy to want to give up. And it's easy to want to distract yourself. But none of these work. And so that leaves us with patience. So let's think about what patience might be. And I'll just start by reading something from Ajahn Sumedho, because I find it so useful. This is from his booklet, which you can download online. It's been a real teacher for me, These this booklet. 35 pages or so, or maybe 60 pages. Um, the Four Noble Truths by Ajahn Sumedho. You can get it online, print it off for yourself. And this is at the back, at the end of this, uh, his teachings on the Four Noble Truths. He says, with right effort, there can be a cool kind of acceptance of a, situa- of a situation rather than the panic that comes from thinking that it's up to me to set everybody straight, to make everything right and solve everybody's problems. We do the best we can, but we also realize that it's not up to us to do everything and make everything right. One time when I was at Wat Pa Pom, that was Achan Cha's monastery in Thailand, I could see a lot of things going wrong with the monastery. So I went up to him, Ajahn Cha, and I said, Ajahn Cha, these things are going wrong. You've got to do something about it. He looked at me and said, Oh, you suffer a lot, Samedo. <laughs> you suffer a lot. It will change. I thought, he doesn't care. The monastery that he's devoted his life to, and he's just letting it go down the drain. 
But he was right. After a while, it began to change. And though just bearing with it, people began to see what they were doing. Sometimes we have to let things go down the drain in order for people to see and to experience that. Then we can learn how not to go down the drain. Do you see what I mean? Sometimes situations in our life are just this way. There's nothing one can do. So we allow them to be that way. Even if they get worse, we allow them to get worse. But it's not fatalistic or negative thing, not a fatalistic or negative thing we're doing. Right? So that's the point. It's not about giving up or um, sort of just wanting it all to be over with. It's a kind of patience, being willing to bear with something, allowing it to change naturally rather than egotistically trying to prop everything up, cleaning it all up out of our aversion and distaste for the mess. Then when people push our buttons, we're not always offended, hurt, or upset by the things that happen or shatter and destroy and destroyed by the things that people say or do. And he goes on later to talk about a person in the monastery who always sort of catastrophized everything, you know, little things, and they'd just be shattered. You know, and he, later he says, uh, uh, little things should not totally shatter anyone. <laughs> and so the question is, what's a little thing? Is, there's a, what's that cliche, that wise cliche, like uh, something like accept all the little things, and by the way, everything's little, or... Don't sweat small steps. Yeah. How does it go again? Don't sweat small steps and small steps. Yeah. So let me just read a little bit more. He says, I'm skipping around here. With reflection, you can see that the world is like this. It is a sensitive place. It's not always going to soothe you and make you feel happy, secure, and positive. Life is full of things that can offend, hurt, wound, and shatter. This is life. It is the way. It is this way. If somebody speaks in a cross tone of voice, you're going to feel it. But then the mind can go on and be offended. Oh, it really hurt when she said that to me. You know, that was not a very nice tone of voice. I felt quite wounded. I've never done anything to hurt her. The proliferating mind goes on like that, doesn't it? You have, to, you have been shattered, wounded, or offended. But then if you contemplate, you realize it's just sensitivity. When you contemplate this way, it's not that you're trying not to feel. When somebody talks to you in an unkind tone of, tone of voice, it's not that you don't feel it at all. You're not trying to be insensitive. Rather, we are trying not to give it the wrong interpretation, not to take it on a personal level. Having balanced emotions means that people can say things that are offensive and you can take it. You have the balance and emotional strength not to be offended, wounded, or shattered by what life, what happens in life. If you are someone who is always being wounded or offended in life, you always have to run off and hide, or you have to have, you have to find a, a group of obsequious psychopaths to live with. People who say, "You're wonderful, Ajahn Semedo." Am I really wonderful? Yes, you are. You're just saying that, aren't you? No, no, no. I mean it from the bottom of my heart. Well, that person over there doesn't think I'm wonderful. Well, he's stupid. That's what I thought. It's like the story of the emperor's new clothes, isn't it? You have to seek special environments so that everything is affirmed for you, safe, and not threatening in any way. 
And this is what people say now about the way news is handled with the internet and other new technology. It's like it used to be we got Walter Cronkite, you know, and it was as balanced as it was, but it was like, you know, CBS, I guess, had appealed to the middle ground, right? But now because it's so cheap to have sort of different sources of news, we can have news that's just as perfect for our kind of conditioning, you know? And now nobody else's. And so we just get, you know, we get our little group, just like, you know, people seek out spiritual groups and social groups that are just right for them, that nothing pushes their buttons. And I fall into this too, like wanting to make common ground, you know, help make common ground the place that's going to appeal to everybody. You know, boy, that's a lot. There's a lot of suffering, <laughs> and I, a lot of us had that conditioning. You know, just generally uh, that conditioning to have the personality that wouldn't push anybody's buttons. I'm not saying I don't push any buttons, but I, but I'm saying that I had this sort of tendency not to want to push anybody's buttons, and to realize, well, there's no real, real wisdom in that. It's not like that would be like a happy way of being in the world. Not to like somehow. That would be so satisfying to have to be the person that doesn't push anybody's buttons. Like, why do we think that being sort of milk toast is the way to happiness? Or assuming milk toast doesn't push anybody's buttons, <laughs> or whatever that might be, you know. And so uh, I just found that that would be. I, I thought that would be a, a useful kind of introduction or way to sort of begin this discussion now about well, what do we mean by patience? So let's. Before we just start talking, sharing with each other, we have another, um, actually let's do a small group discussion here. This might be a good place. But before we do that, and feel free, after, I'm just going to sort of set up the reflection, and then we'll take about five or ten minutes to do it. Feel free to go out and get some paper if you think that would be useful. And then we'll break into small groups, and you can share in small groups. That way, everybody will get a chance to share. So. We'll, we'll take some time now between the reflection and the small group discussion, about a half an hour, to think about what do we mean by patience and impatience, and to really ground it in, in kind of a working definition, so really to draw on our, our experience, our direct experience, where we felt we were being patient or impatient in a moment, or, and this is also can be very valuable, where we were around another person that seemed very patient or impatient. You know, just to be aware of whether we're being judgmental or compassionate if we're imagining somebody being really impatient or being sort of appreciative of somebody's patience instead of jealous. But feel free to bring to mind other people, not just yourself, as you reflect on the different qualities of patience and impatience. You know, there are a lot of different qualities. You know, everything from... You know, the part of patience that has a real power, that steadfastness, like we're enduring something that's really difficult. So patience has that quality, and you can bring up those kinds of situations in yourself or others. Or the quality of patience that's very much about tranquility and being at ease with changing conditions or conditions that don't seem to be changing. So a kind of ease or peacefulness that... Uh, patients can have that quality. Love, compassion, forgiveness definitely can be connected with the experience of patience. So you might bring those up as you bring, you know, kind of go through your memories. Many more. I'll just leave it there. 
So let's take uh, about 10 minutes. Feel free to get some paper. Feel free to use the bathroom. But we'll just keep it silent now for 10 minutes. So you can. So whether you're going to the bathroom or sitting here or lying down or walking outside, reflect that from your own experience and the experiences of people around you. What do you know about patients? And try to articulate it so you, you've got a bit of information you can hold on to. So you're, you're kind of distilling from your memories words that sort of represent your experiences of patients and impatience. And don't try to nail it, because it, it's more like, you know, we're getting it from different angles. So you're going to have different memories, different distillations that will be useful. And then we'll share together. Okay, so we'll come back. It's uh, almost 11. We'll come back a little bit before 10 after, so we're all ready to go at 10 after.